hey everybody. Um, I'm Amy Frederick and I'm here today with Ryan Pruitt. Welcome, Ryan. Hey. <laughs> so glad to uh, see you, in quotes. <laughs> you too. <laughs> How's everything going? It's been pretty good. Been doing a lot of producing and mixing. Yeah, you've got a new project out. If Yeah, so I do some projects where I'm the artist and then I'll collaborate with singers or just do instrumental stuff. And I did a 60s, 70s kind of funk soul EP. It was a lot of fun and just came out today. I noticed that. I think I saw it on Instagram, maybe and Facebook. Yeah. And I, I got uh, an advanced copy, lucky me, when we were talking <laughs> last week. Yeah. Um, and I exercised to it. It was great. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I got my blood going. Um, yeah, I, I love it. It's really cool. Thank you. Um, do you want to talk about that project for a few minutes? I mean, or we can, yeah, or we yeah. can start at the beginning of you or however you want to, whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, we, we can we can talk about that first if you want. Okay. I'm looking it up right now on your page. So it's called Good Soul. Yeah. So, um, so when quarantine happened, I just had a lot of more time on my hands, like everyone. And so I just decided to work on a lot of projects that I wanted to do for a long time and just didn't have time to finish them. So that was one of them. And, uh, Derek Phillips, a drummer, you probably know him. Yeah. He put out a beatbox sample library of like kind of hip hop, old school funk, like James Brown sounding loops and stuff like that. And so I got that and that was perfect timing for people like me during quarantine for him to put that out. And then, so I started writing stuff. Some of it I kind of already started writing, but that helped a lot. And then I layered some of my own samples for the drums and I actually started practicing bass a lot because I used to play bass a little bit and played bass on it and had a uh, Chris Condon played most of the guitars. I don't know. If, do you know him? I don't think so. He's a, uh, uh, he, he plays around town a lot and does a lot of sessions and we work together on a lot of projects. I usually hire him for artist projects and stuff that I produce. And then Chris West played all of the horns, like the brass and the woodwinds, which is pretty impressive. That wow. he can do all of the, yeah. <laughs> so I wrote the basic horn parts, just the melodies I wanted, and then sent him that. And then he did the sections and then reharmonized some of it to properly be for the horns. And it was really cool. Yeah, I bet. Did you all all get together all at the same time, or just have to do send each other little tracks and, or did they come to your studio? Or? Um, well, Chris, he did all that on his own. After I sent him, I, I just did like MIDI horns for the basic parts and sent that to him, and then he used that. And, and he does that a lot. I get projects every so often where I need horns, and I'll usually just send the track to him, and he can do it all at his house. Gotcha. Even before quarantine, because he has so many horns and stuff there. It's just easier. And um, and Chris Condon did most of it from his place. The singers, 
there's a couple singers on there and one came here and tracked and another one is a friend of mine that moved to Colorado. So he did his own vocals and sent them to me. Neat. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of a quarantine project mostly. Right. Just kind of cool, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, it is. Um, I, I would probably like, I would be excited when a track came in to me, if I was you, I'd be like, Oh boy, I just got this track, you know, let me listen to it and see what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is really fun. Especially with, like the horns and stuff. Cause you know, I didn't really know, like I gave him direction, but he sent me like really cool flute tracks and all this stuff that like, wow, that's, <laughs> it's perfect for the project. Well, I know that you have a Hammond organ and we've talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I had, I just bought that in January when I borrowed your dollies for to move it. Um, yeah. So how are you? Oh gosh. So, so you've had it for about six or seven months now. And so how, how are you enjoying that? I mean, uh, I, it's awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's featured prominently on this EP. Yeah. And that was part of, I've, I've been wanting to do this EP for a while. Last year, I kind of started some of the ideas and then when I actually got an organ and then I was just home with it all the time, it was time <laughs> to really work on it. And I have a, a Whirly that I use a lot for that kind of stuff. And Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love it. Um, what's your composing process like? Is, is it just sit down and just mess around or? Yeah, I usually... I'll just sit down at the organ or my whirly and just kind of come up with some riffs and just some fun, funky stuff. Yes. And it's usually like, I'm not like a chops player or a jazz player. So it's usually like, I'm not doing crazy stuff. I'm just come up with cool melodies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I'm um, comparing it to, this project, but it, it has a little bit of the same vibe as some of the Napoleon dynamite. It's oh yeah. For me. <laughs> I mean, different, but still it made me feel a little bit of the same. It, it evoked a certain mood for me, like just, um, um, a chill mood or a, I don't know how to exactly say it to you, but just, yeah, that, you know, nodding my head mood. <laughs> yeah. I like that that soundtrack a lot actually i do too there's a lot of like quirky casio beats and stuff on there and i'm into that stuff too i do a lot of like 80s funky some of it's kind of goofy that somehow i try to make it hip and yeah, yeah that's yeah. a cool soundtrack oh uh, that's i'm glad you like that i mean it made me think of it a little bit you know cool uh, not, not that it's a copy of it in any way but just that it, it gave me the same vibe kind of feeling when I listen to it. Well, let's, if you don't mind, let's go back and just talk about your beginnings and, you know, how you started, what you went through to get to where you are today, all the things that you do. I mean, I, I'm interested in hearing the whole story if you're up for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so where are so, you from? I'm from a really small town called Dixon, Missouri. It's in the Ozarks, kind of the central southern more central missouri and is 
kind of isolated just in terms it's like St. Louis was like two hours away and there wasn't any city around really. And I grew up taking classical piano lessons and I played saxophone and band and then learned guitar some in high school. Cause my dad was a guitar or still is a guitar player and I'd play with him and mostly like classic rock country and then I was studying classical music too. So that was kind of most of my high school. And then I got into ska music and like some punk music and stuff and had a ska band where I'd arranged horn charts and I played the saxophone and that stuff got pretty goofy, but it was fun for a teenager. And um, so then I went to college in Missouri for two years and studied music and then I made friends with a lot more or a lot more diver, diverse people than where I grew up. And they started showing me really cool music like D'Angelo and like deep cuts from Earth, Wind and Fire and all this cool R&B music that I'd never really heard. And that kind of changed <laughs> my perspective. And I just really got into that got into Prince a lot and just classic stuff that I hadn't really been exposed to very much. Right. Um, you care if I ask a few questions? No. Go we go? Um, so you're t you took classical piano lessons, mm -hmm. um, just a basic piano teacher situation? Yeah, I took them for about eight years, I think. Okay. Um, do you remember eight. the methods that you used? Just curious. I can't remember. I remember what the book looks like. I, I always forgot, ask that question. I forgot the person's name. No, I'll have to think of it. Maybe I can, I can think of it later. But. No big deal. Um, Faber, Bastion, those are some typical ones. But Alfred, um, mm. anyway, it doesn't matter. Scales, okay. theory? Yeah, I learned theory. I had a Hannon book later on. Yeah. Recitals? Yeah. And I after the method books, I started just studying pieces for a few years. And then I did quit when I was about 15 or 16, I think. What would you say um, when you like, how did you learn how to play with your dad? Cause that's a very different skill set, you know, to play rock and roll. And um, the, like, were you, did you teach yourself how to make chords or? Um... I learned a lot on my own on the internet just like a lot of kids do to learn guitar chords. And then my dad did show me a lot. He helped me. And he also, he plays the banjo well. And I learned some bluegrass guitar to second him. And we'd play with my grandpa who played the dobro. And there's just a lot of oh wow musical people. And so I, I learned a lot of different things kind of, I guess, in high school. I got you. Um, bluegrass is so community and collaborative. Oh, yeah. uh, and I feel like sometimes piano lessons is very isolated and soloistic. <laughs> that is true. And that might be why one reason why I quit is because I started playing in bands in high school. And that was way more fun, obviously, than yeah. being by yourself studying piano. Yeah. So that probably had something to do with it. I started studying again when 
I decided to be a music major. I had to get ready to try out and all that stuff. Yes. And so I started studying again before college. And then I studied for one year in college and I was at a state school in Missouri in Warrensburg, which is near Kansas city. And I was studying music technology, which was a music degree with an emphasis in recording. Yeah. And I realized really quickly that I just really wanted to study recording and I didn't want to practice that much to take classical piano at that level. And I yeah. just wanted to spend my time getting good at recording. So I transferred to MPSU in Murfreesboro and studied and finished there with their recording degree, which is in the mass communications college instead of the music school. Gotcha. Um, the bands that you mentioned in high school, did you put those together? Yeah, I, I think I kind of led them. I played it at church a lot and then had like praise, bands team. At church, praise team and then had a couple other bands that we'd play at the high school or something like that. But the town is very small and there really wasn't anywhere to play besides church or a school event. Right. Right. Um, what kind of stuff did you play in those bands? Just curious, which artists or. Um, it was, well, one band was kind of pop punk. Uh, <laughs> we'd write <laughs> some songs and I don't know. It just kind of was a lot of different things. Just yes. whoever, whoever wanted to be a part of it kind of thing. And yes. then, then another band was a, a ska band, which had a horn section and, you know, ska is like fast reggae punk kind of music. And then in college, I had another ska band with a bunch of music majors and that was super nerdy where I was like in Sibelius arranging horns and the bass guitar. I was writing the bass guitar for like everything, which was kind of fun, but it was pretty good. <laughs> The uh, best known maybe ska band I can think of that I the one that I know the most about probably would be Haircut 100. Okay. I, you probably don't even, I mean, that was your. I've heard of them, but I didn't really. When, back then, Less Than Jake was really big. Um, okay. Uh, Streetlight Manifesto was a really big one. They had a big horn section, which was cool. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to think who else. So were you playing saxophone with these bands or keyboards? I both. Okay. I would play keyboard and then yeah. play saxophone. I played guitar sometimes. Okay. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it was it was fun at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you play drums too? No. Okay. Just curious. You've got a kit set up behind you. Oh yeah, I just have a house kit here for recording. Gotcha. Okay. So you end up in school and you're studying recording. I think that's awesome and probably has served you so well to be able to do that. I'm jealous of those skills. Um, and then you transfer to MTSU. Is that where you like started um, discovering R&B? Uh, no, I did at the other college. Okay. Because I was always hanging out with music majors and 
Me too. They were showing me all kinds of cool stuff. And then I, I got into it more when I moved here and I started doing more recording and and then like artists like Prince and like he did a lot of his own recording and all these cool artists from the 70s and 80s that did a lot more than you realized maybe and stuff like that. It was I kind of, some reason I kind of, like a lot of my music is all stuff from the past that I try to make some kind of modern kind of like bridge the gap, have all, like analog synths and old keyboards and stuff. So I didn't really, I was born in 88, so I didn't really grow up in the seventies and eighties, but for some reason I've been drawn to that. Yeah. I kind, of, kind of made a niche for that stuff in my own music and a lot of the artists that hire me to produce for them, they want that kind of sound or a little bit of that sound. What's the first um, like vintage synth that you picked up? Um, well, I have a Prophet 6, which is actually not vintage. It's, it's a new Prophet that they make that's similar to the Prophet 5 from the 80s. Okay. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm going to have to come over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and take some lessons. Seriously. So well, I, don't, I don't know if I can have, I'm sure you can do whatever I can do. But yeah, you should <laughs> check out all, all the stuff. And Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm saying like, um, I'd love to know, like, I mean, you can probably cite recordings that these scents are really prominently featured on and i may know the sound but just not know exactly where it came from as i'm thinking. yeah um well like what what are some of the sounds and some of the can you can you name some recordings that it was featured on? for like a prophet six mm -hmm. um and those some talking heads recordings can't remember which songs exactly were which synths um prince used an oberheim a lot which i don't have one of those um, I have a, a mini Moog, which is a, a reissue of the one from the seventies. And that's like what Stevie wonder used for synth bass and pretty much everybody used for synth bass in the seventies. Yeah. I tried to win one of those, um, from the Moog foundation last year. Oh, I saw that, uh, drawing or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved to have had one of those. Um, I mean, it's, it's not that I can't, you know, have one, but um, it would have been so nice to win that one. Um, yeah, they, for a couple of years or a few years, they reissued it. So it's just like the 70s mini Moog. I don't think they make it anymore. So one reason I justified buying it was I can probably sell it <laughs> if, if I need the money or want the money back. Yeah. Yeah. Did you use you can, that? On you, can always, you can always find ways to justify buying gear if you really <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I've got several of those sitting around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you use that on your EP? Yeah. That last song, there's a synth lead. It sounds like 70s game show music or something, kind of. Yeah. That's a, that's a Moog. Awesome. Um, what's the name of that song? Benediction. Benediction. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I, um, 
I would love to have one of those, maybe someday soon. <laughs> yeah, you might Another find a good deal on one if somebody wants to get rid of one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what else you got sitting around in there? <laughs> um, I think that's about it. I have a Hammond. My Hammond's an A100 and a Leslie 122. Um, nice. My Whirly. That's pretty much it. I have an old Casio keyboard that actually my brother got new in the eighties and it's got some fun quirky sounds, cool drum machine on it. <laughs> nice. So, um, is the majority of your work, um, producing? Would you yeah, say? Mo mostly producing and I do some mixing for other producers where they just send me the tracks. And it's mostly producing and I mix the stuff that I produce. Which one do you like um, better or, or can you say as far as the process goes? I like both a lot. Um, I like mixing a lot for other people if the music's good. So kind of avoid trying, I'm not trying to just get a ton of projects because a lot of them may not sound that good. And then it's even harder to mix it to make it sound good if it didn't sound very good from the start. And so kind of do both and just pick and choose things or find the right people I really want to work with and right. try to work with them more. You know, I feel like my students um, who, who are really interested in being good musicians probably could benefit a lot from thinking about what makes um, a mix easier to mix, you know? Um, I mean, one thing I can think of would be like playing dynamically. I'm going to guess that that helps your job. Um, yeah. Playing dynamically. And a lot of it's the producing to where there's just not stuff overlapping a lot in the same frequency ranges and stuff that doesn't need to be there. There's just overly full of things and it just needs to be cut back. And so if you're a keyboard player um, playing in a band, you don't want to play in the same register or range where the guitar player is playing. Is that or the bass player <laughs> or the bass? Oh gosh, the heavy handed left, yeah. <laughs> left hand keyboardist. Yeah. <laughs> Every bass player's uh, number one hated <laughs> keyboard <Yep>. player trait. <laughs> yeah. So stay out of the way of other instruments and learning to listen. Yeah. Or at least, talk to them about it if you and the guitar player I mean, you can play in that range and if the guitar player plays somewhere else obviously that can work but if everybody's just playing whatever that's kind of not constructive i don't think yeah you know for for keyboard players i think that um so many piano players are trained to read notes you know right from the off the bat i mean it's it's um it's honored uh, tradition to do that, but it makes you a good soloist. Eventually you're doing, you're covering all the parts, the low end, the middle the top. And um, when you get into a band, it just becomes a different, you don't have to play so much. Maybe yeah. your parts are simpler than if you were uh, covering the traditional classical method, maybe. Yeah. And you may not even use your left hand much 
depending on what it is. Right. So learning that collaborative process for pianists is uh, it's it's tricky. It's re it's really kind of tricky to make that transition from being a solo piano student to learning to play with others. Yeah. Yeah, definitely getting in a band of some kind is helpful or even learning a, a little bit of another instrument. If you're wanting to play in bands, like just having some guitar knowledge and understanding how they voice chords and why they always want to play in sharp keys and stuff like that. Like just understanding why can be helpful. Yeah. Do you, are, are you, um, you know, I'm always talking to my students about, um, like the, the three modalities of playing the, like of playing piano, like it's visual, it's oral and it's kinesthetic, you know, your body, your ear and your eye. Um, do you, do you have like one mode that you prefer as a musician? Do you find yourself to be one uh, stronger in one of those three than the others? Well, I don't read, I don't read music much at all anymore. So my sight reading's gotten pretty bad. I'm sure <laughs> I haven't even tried in a long time. So it's mostly by ear. Yeah. I kind of thought you would say that, you know, but yeah. probably your, your kinesthetic abilities probably are really strong too. If you're playing guitar and talking about voicings and things like that. Um, when you like, could you sit down at the piano? I'm just curious about this and like copy of guitar voicing like may yeah maybe unless it's complicated right so are, i'm just you know trying to get inside your head of how you think and how you listen to music basically it interests me that producers so often think very um orchestrally i guess that's not the right word to use for a band but but you guys do tend to think of the entire all the instruments yeah and we hear parts more than anything no matter what instrument it is parts and like i'll sit down at the guitar and fiddle around and like some a couple of the songs on my ep i just made a guitar riff and then made it a bass riff and gotcha. then added other stuff so yeah it's, it's definitely helpful to just be able to, or just to know or to even know like how high does the bass guitar normally play in a rock band so you don't go that low or stuff like that mm -hmm. okay so sort of seeing it as this this is their zone this is their zone this is their zone that sort of thing yeah interesting um when you're in recording school at mtsu like what kind of classes are you taking and um you said you had the last two years there so what was that yeah, like it was a lot of different recording classes. They have two or three big studios, like big old school studios with big consoles. So we learn routing and all that stuff and how to run a, a large room. But the reality is most people, when they graduate, even if they do make a full-time living recording, they're not gonna be doing much in those type studios because there's less and less of those every day right. and more stuff is done like in a home studio or just a smaller project studio so it's cool to learn all that stuff so we know but then 
there aren't a lot of jobs for that. And if you really want to make it on your own, you kind of have to pave your own way. And that's usually starting with just like stuff like I'm doing. And then even if, even if I worked on a really big record, I still may not go into a big studio just depending. So we learned a lot. There were MIDI classes about synthesis, um, a couple sound for picture classes where you could learn about Foley and making sound effects and that kind of thing. Neat. Um, you do some licensing, yes? Yeah, so the the projects I release, I submit them for sync licensing opportunities and <clears throat> make some money that way. And that's been growing for the past few years since I started doing it. And my goal is to just keep growing that ultimately because that's passive income and then I can just choose more of whatever else I'm doing. Like whenever road gigs come back, I can choose or just say no a lot easier if I really don't want to do it and mm -hmm. just take gigs. And so that's my long-term goal with it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, we, we, we can get into more detail about that. I'd really like to, I feel like, um, you know, that you have a great background for that because you know how to make things sound good. And yeah, like, um, you know, effects. I mean, did you guys, uh, you must've had a class that studied just effects, how to use. Yeah, I had, a, well. I had a really good mixing class. I remember we learned a lot about that kind of stuff and just overall mixing. Right. Do you, did you learn how to microphone like, um, um, Leslie's and yeah. And yeah. So in the bigger studio classes, we learn that stuff because the big studios have grand pianos and one studio had a, a B3 and a Leslie and most students and kids didn't even, had never even heard of a Leslie unless they were keyboard nerd. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I was in a church today and there was one in the corner and there's no Hammond organ there. Oh, really? Yeah, a nice one. Did you and make him an offer? <laughs> sure, I thought about it. <laughs> and then I thought, wonder what my my Hammond organ would look like in here. <laughs> wonder if I could bring that here. <laughs> you know, yeah. the gears start turning in your head. Like, Well, you can, you can get a Trek preamp pedal. Do you know about those? And you can yeah. plug, you can plug any keyboard into a Leslie. So then maybe they use a keyboard with it. It's possible. Yeah. Yes. Or, or it's just sitting there not being used. But <laughs> well, they had a Clavinova there. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know. You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> a Clavinova, you know, for y'all, it just it looks like a piano and feels. It's got the feel of a piano. And when you're playing the Hammond organ, the keys they're called waterfall keys. And they're designed to be um, smeared and smudged so that you can get around them really well without like getting bloody hands or um, <laughs> <laughs> you can push the keys out easily. So, yeah, I don't know. I was confused, but delighted at the same time. <laughs> and 
So, I mean, to me, to me, Ryan, I'm jealous of your skills because, and you know, I'll just make a suggestion to you right now that I would love to take a class, you know, on just basic making yourself sound good um, as a keyboard player who doesn't have any recording skills. Cause I think that would be so helpful. So many of us now, um, like I know some music ministers at churches right now who are having to learn uh, recording as quickly as possible. And they have no experience whatsoever in that sort of thing because of the quarantine, you know, there's a real need to be able to post some good sounding videos on YouTube or, I mean, I think there's a need for that. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've thought about before teaching maybe a logic class or something like that geared more, I was thinking more towards songwriters and people that just need to learn basic stuff. Yeah. That aren't trying to be experts, but that could right. go towards people like you're talking about or. Yeah. yeah. I've never really done it or thought it through. But. Another issue right now that's going on that I've noticed is a lot of people want to live stream and don't really know how to get that thing set up so that it, so that their live stream goes well. So. Yeah. Yeah, all my, or a lot of my audio friends that just do audio stuff, they're super busy right now doing all these live stream things for churches and just businesses, all kinds of opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> Weird, huh? Yeah. Didn't see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> so... Okay. Well, so, but let's go back. I mean, I kind of got off track, but kind of not because I'm, I am really interested in these things and, you know, I'm a bit of a, um, well, I don't know the right questions to ask you about recording, but I am, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm very, um, I would love to know some of the things that, you know, um, if you're a keyboard player, I mean, I would think that that's a, it's an incredible direction to go in, a very powerful direction. And you mentioned the passive income, you know, from, for me, my side job is teaching and I really do love it. And I can count on it pretty much because there's always people that want to learn how to play piano. And, um, I, so that's sort of my side hustle, but this, this sync licensing stuff, I'd love to, you know, talk to you more about that. If, if you want to say the kinds of stuff that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great creative outlet, I would think, too, because you can just write stuff and you submit it to people. Yeah. So used to sync licensing was harder to get into because you pretty much had to get in with an agency that pitched your songs to big TV shows and movies and stuff like that. And then you'd make a whole lot of money if you got a placement, probably but it was more difficult to get in with those people. And then just that whole opportunity was less likely. And now there's these websites called micro sync sites and they mostly serve smaller projects and smaller video companies, bloggers, YouTube shows. Cause it, you can't just put a song on a YouTube video. Like I can't just take your song and put it on there and it'll probably get flagged if you have it released and that kind of thing. So if they want to use good music for their videos, they have to get it licensed from somewhere. So there's websites now, these companies that offer 
cheaper licensing than like a big movie or a big TV show. And there's just a whole, a big need for it for everything from like YouTube videos to companies that make wedding videos to Facebook ads to just all these smaller things. And some of them do get bigger, but they're just not major TV things usually. Okay. And so it's, it's more, you you get a whole lot of downloads for a small amount and it kind of adds up to be kind of like a bigger sync license. And the, the models just changed a lot and it keeps changing, which is kind of frustrating because every site has a different business model and the way they pay out and the way they charge the client. Some of them do subscription models and some of them do per song. And so you kind of just have to be open to learn about what each company does. Interesting. So the business aspect of it is, um, is a little bit tedious. It sounds like just navigating that. Um, is yeah. it in flux? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What are you saying? Well, I was just going to ask if, if it's, if it's changing right now because of the pandemic, is that affecting it? Um, what I've heard from a lot of sync licensing people that are higher up that I've talked to is that there's a higher demand actually right now because everybody's on computers more on the internet. So there's a, there's just more ads or some more smaller stuff like that being made. Wow. So I don't know how long that'll last or what exactly yeah. that means, but just recently it seems like it's, been a higher demand. Um, yeah. But it, what's always changing is just the way like one company can pay you one way and then they decide to change their business model and it can yeah. affect you. So it's, it's kind of hard to just depend on it. Gotcha. Being the same or yes, yeah, you really have to be flexible and I'll bet when you get a placement, um, that's a thrill. It have to be. Yeah, and a lot of it, they don't have to, mostly they don't have to tell us what it's for because they don't even know. The end user doesn't have to report like, hey, I put this in my little YouTube video or whatever. Oh, but, that's a shame. But I've found sometimes people will tag me or I'll just find it if I search for my name, if, if they credit it. And some of the videos have like millions of views, so they're they're watched by a lot of people and that's kind of cool. And another thing, one, I didn't even realize when I got into it, my Spotify numbers went way up all of a sudden on certain songs. Yeah. And I don't, I don't market my, I don't pay to market my streaming or anything like that. And then I was, thought, well, it has to be from sync licensing. And then I would start digging around on the internet and find videos and they had like millions of views. And then somebody just, they, all these people just liked the song. So they started listening to it on Spotify. So it's like free publicity. It's kind of all works together. Wow. Cool that is really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So did you uh, sync license some of the songs that are on your current EP? Are you doing that I've, too? I've just submitted them to a couple sites. They haven't put them on yet. Are but, there legal issues surrounding that? Like, um, do you have to just make sure you copyright it or? Yeah, you have you have to know who owns the recording and then 
the writers you have to keep track of because it's because right. there's a sound recording and then there's the song yeah so you do have to learn about some music business stuff if you don't know anything and you're trying to get into it yeah uh, and you have to register the songs with your pro like bmi or ascap right because a lot of a lot of the smaller sync licenses don't have back-end money they're just a one one time upfront fee but then if you get a bigger license there probably will be back-end money and you need to already have that in order and have your yeah. song registered okay so there's there's actually some some behind the scenes just sort of uh grit work <laughs> yeah there's and then you have to just know like if you make songs with your friend you have to know who the writers are yeah if you're the one that recorded it like do you own the recording completely or like how do you if you right. just had some friends play on it did you pay them a work for hire fee or do they expect to just own that with you so you do right. have to treat it like a business where you could run into an issue yes what that means what i'm uh, just in case some of my students are listening to you which i am really going to stress that I, a couple of them really need to do this because you know they're already into the recording um which i love it's great um but but what what you're basically saying is make an agreement with everybody who's on the recording and be upfront about who's going to split the profits and right and and the way i do it now is it's pretty obvious that i own it because i just hire the musicians and offer them or work out whatever their fee is mm -hmm. and they play on records all the time so they they don't expect that they're going to own it or anything i was just saying like a lot of times if you organically just write songs with your friends and then you end up recording them and there's not really any, any set boundary or anything that just needs to be discussed gotcha. or known somehow yeah what would you say are the like the the best traits of your of like the collaborators that you really like to work with what makes them that um well most of them have just become really good friends honestly i mean they're really good musicians too but mm -hmm. they're just my friends that i like working with <laughs> yeah <laughs> like so you guys have the same um probably the same taste, same interests. Yeah, yeah, similar interests and just willing to, I don't know, just, you, you just find people that you gel with really well. Yes. And you just wanna keep working with them. Yes, it's, um, there's chemistry, you know, between musicians, I think. And um, so some bands are very, it's, it can be, become magical um everybody does their own part and it's yeah <laughs> everybody knows yeah. Their yeah i work with my friend chris condon who i was talking about earlier a lot and he lives close to me so he produces project he's an awesome guitar player he hires me for some stuff i'll hire him and we're just always together doing stuff and we just have a good time it's not like work <laughs> so if you find people like that, it's, it is kind of special. Like, yes. So, well, let's go back. Okay. So you graduated from MTSU and what, what's, what's your first job when you graduate with a recording 
emphasis? My first job was actually, I did the census in 2010. Um, and that was interesting, but I did that right after college. And then my first other job, I worked for a sample company that made sample libraries and loop libraries. Can you explain what that is for somebody that might not know? Yes. So a company like that will make a bunch of different loops like drum loops or guitar loops or different instruments. And then you can use those to make songs and you can manipulate the tempos and change, maybe change the key, like different things to make them work in your song, or you can make a song around them. That's what I did on my project with those Derek Phillips drum loops, because he put out a loop library and they were all the like the right style for what I was doing. And I just manipulated them and into what I needed. GarageBand has a whole bunch of loops on the front end, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they give those for free with GarageBand and then like these other companies just basically making more loops like that. And they're usually they're okay. packaged like a specialized thing. Like here's a bunch of percussion loops that might be shakers and tambourines and things like that. Or here's some metal guitar loops you can use. Can you use any loops on your sync licensed music? Yeah, technically any, I mean, pretty much any company that makes loops, that's what they're for is for you to use however you want. Nice. You can re release the release songs or use them for sync licensing. A lot of times, depending on what it is, you you probably want to manipulate it somehow if you're going to use it, just so it doesn't sound like everybody else that has the same thing. Right. Who are some of the, like the most um, popular loop libraries? Who, who makes those? Um, well, there's a website called splice.com and they're the, probably the biggest company now and they do a subscription model where it's only $8 a month. And there's just a huge amount of, loops and samples of everything you can think of and they just keep adding to it and they've kind of taken over that whole market as far as a big company um and it's a great deal because you i think you get a hundred downloads a month and that's loops sounds drum sounds sound effects i've gotten just different noises and things like that depending on what you need so they're the probably the biggest company now um trying to think what other companies there's a lot of smaller companies that kind of have a niche with things um the company that did Derek's library is cool it's do you know john estes he's a bass player and a producer plays yeah, some other instruments yeah. He started a company called Red Tape Samples. And okay. he, <clears throat> he recorded Derek's loops and released that project. And he has some other projects. Cool. I mean, it sounds fun. Do you, um, do you import those like into Logic? Yeah, or Pro Tools or whatever program pretty much now you can, you can pretty easily change the tempo and, and manipulate the audio file unless it's a drastic change 
and it, you can't hear any artifacts. Okay. Um, what is your preferred method of recording? Like, like my program? Mm -hmm. uh, usually Pro Tools, mostly just because I've used it for a really long time. Do you learn Probably. that in school too? Yeah, and I actually learned, I learned it in high school because my brother did recording and he, he's 15 years older than me and he was teaching recording at a middle school when I was a kid and taught music. And so he got me onto Pro Tools early on with an old version. So I already knew it pretty well when I got to college and then I've just stayed with it. If I was starting now, I'd definitely start with Logic if I had a Mac, if you have a Mac and you want to just get into recording, Logic's really simple and you have everything now in Logic you need. And it's cheaper. It's a lot cheaper. Yeah. Like 200 bucks. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I think you can even put it on two computers maybe for 200 bucks or three computers. I forgot yeah. how many licenses. I don't know. I've, I only have it on one. Um, knock on wood, I don't want my computer to die. <laughs> but, you know, um, it's, they do wear out eventually. But <laughs> yeah, well, I, you can transfer any, I think any license, but if right. it allows you to have two at one time. So if you had like, oh, if you had like a main computer and then a laptop or something, you could, I got you for not. Oh, yeah. Any, yeah, so it's a pretty good deal. That is and, and a lot of like, it's it's become a standard now with professional producers and there's really no, no, no programs better than the other. Now, like used to there'd be debates and pro tools was a lot better at a lot of things. And it really doesn't matter now if they're just a little different, but they all can do the same things. <laughs> well, that's so, that's so, so incredibly handy that your brother was a middle school music teacher. So incredibly handy. Yeah, and he's he's a very really good singer and a piano player, and so he, he taught me a lot early on. My dad was doing multi-track recording with a little eight-track hard disk recorder for fun with his friends, and so I, I was always around all that stuff. Gotcha. Tinkering with it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. That's, I mean. Um, I think it really does help to have support. <laughs> I know a few people who've done it without, but the road is uh, definitely more difficult. Um, I was gonna ask you if there are any like really good books about Prince's recording methods or how do you learn? Like if you study him, how do you learn about how he did his techniques? Um, you, you probably the easiest way is to look up the engineers that worked with him a lot. One was a lady named Sylvia Massey. That's a famous engineer and she's talked about working with him. And I think there's some others I can't remember right now, but yeah, they usually people and like, even like Michael Jackson, um, his engineer wrote a book that described everything in a lot of detail and, um, details about working with Quincy Jones and the whole process and that, that that's probably incredible yeah it's awesome <laughs> you have a look on your face it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he 
check it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a great book. I think it's called In the Studio with Michael Jackson, maybe. Interesting. So is your your method just sort of a hodgepodge of all the things you've picked up over the years? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't do any like analog tape recording or anything, even though I do like old school stuff. I'm not like a a purist or some kind of like, I don't, um, but I use Pro Tools and do digitally and just have analog synths and stuff that sound warmer and, but really that, that's not even necessary. You can do anything with just plugins, honestly. Yeah. Do you, you use a lot of software? Yeah. Do you care to like name some of your favorite piano sounds or other? Uh, yes. Keyscape is my main piano. I think, do you use Keyscape? I don't. Okay. I think yeah. it's I don't do much recording. I feel like it's the main like piano plugin nowadays, at least in Nashville for session guys and girls and just general recording can't hardly beat it they have a c7 that sounds really realistic so everybody a c7 is a type of grand piano oh yeah i mean just in case nobody my mother listens (laughs) 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 she always listens to you guys so you know she'd be like c7 what's that yeah grant it's a grand piano but it sounds so this thing is just really sounds close to a grand piano and it's just a computer software yeah it's a plugin it's it's pretty expensive for a plugin i think it's 450 or something like that so it's not as cheap as a lot of plugins but it's definitely worth it if you use it a lot yeah i'm laughing because a grand piano is hundreds of thousands of dollars if oh. you want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah but there are they're cheaper piano plugins too that are good that are cheaper than like four or five hundred dollars but also in keyscape you get you get an amazing a couple of different roads clavinet whirly there's a whole bunch of different stuff and they all sound amazing wow so that's very useful i would think oh one, yeah one sync license would pay for that oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, I know I talked to you, you know, several months ago um, about doing, you know, recording some solo piano stuff and trying to figure out if I could do, um, just start writing some, some tunes um, and just enter some things and see what happens. Um, It would be fun, I think. It really would be. Yeah, especially with a solo piano project, you don't really have to hire anybody. So, I mean, you may need to pay somebody to master it or mix it or something, but that's not nearly as expensive as hiring a bunch of musicians and investing a lot of money that you may or may not make back. Right. Do you, do you do your recordings at your home? Yeah. Most of the time. That's why I have, I have this drum kit. That's it's a sixties drum kit. That's pretty specific sound for a lot of stuff that I do. And, so I have everything in here that I need for most of my projects. If if there's more than like three people tracking at once, it's can't really do that. But most of the time, especially with pop production where I'm mostly programming everything, I'll just have 
a guitar player or a bass player do overdubs and that's really easy and then just every once in a while i might go to a bigger studio if we want a bigger space right but i would think that's so convenient you know just walk downstairs and get a sandwich and <laughs> well that's yeah that's a little dangerous too because <laughs> i do that a few times <laughs> <laughs> but but handy um, yeah yeah and especially now because for the most part, my life hasn't changed much, honestly, which I'm lucky because a lot of people, it's not the case. Aside from just not going on the road, which I didn't do all the time anyway, really, I'm just still doing the same stuff here. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so let's go back to, you said you worked for a loops library and, and the census. My niece works for the census. Yeah, so the Loop company, it was a really small company. I don't think they're around anymore. And it was a guy that was really successful with metal guitar loops. And this was early, earlier when there weren't as many loops and just so much stuff available. So he found a niche. And what a, a lot of his clients would do is they would just build songs for commercials when there was super low budget for the music they could just make a generic rock song or something for like background music and use loops and build it that way instead of actually licensing music from somebody so that's kind of what his company did and then then he decided he wanted to do keyboard loops so he brought me in to do an organ library which was really fun i would just make blues, blues riffs and stuff like that and or this It'd be like, here's one song with 12 different loops you can piece together in sections. And then here's another one. That was pretty fun. But then, like, that didn't do as well as his guitar stuff just because the market and stuff. So it, the job didn't really last very long, which wasn't a big deal. I mean, it didn't pay a lot of money. It wasn't, I mean, it's fun. But right. <laughs> so. Oh so he kind of laid me off after a few months, I guess. And I, was, I think I was still doing the census part time. So I always just always have had like different things going on. Sure. And then, and then a few months later, I got a job working for the state, for the state capital, the legislature. And I actually did that job for eight years. Oh, wow. While still recording and gigging and just building up my business. Okay. So when you say gigging, were you playing like keys for different bands and artists and stuff like that? Yeah, I would go on the road a lot on the weekends and once in a while take a short tour or something. I've never been gone just constantly. Yeah. Like some people, but the, the job was flexible enough during the summer and the fall that I could take time off because we were, we were really busy when the legislature was in session, which is January to May or April. And then we would build up all this extra time off. And then the rest of the year we could use the vacation time because we would work extra hours and that would just be more time off later. And so that worked out really well to gig and I could still do recording and just manage to do it all. I didn't really sleep a lot. <laughs> 
but <laughs> I was able to buy a lot of gear, just like build my business and yeah, just keep building connections and that, that, so it worked out really well. And I quit, it was a year ago in January. It's about a year and a half ago. Okay. Oh, that's so great, Ryan. I love hearing stuff like that when people find a way to make this work and, and make it work for them. I love those kinds of jobs. Um, which bands, like, what kind of bands were you playing with? And, and like, what kind of gear were you using? Um, I always want to know what people are playing. I've done a lot of smaller country acts and wedding bands. So a lot of um, piano and organ stuff. A lot of piano and organ. Uh, played with Josh Grayson for a bit. And last year I played with a older CCM band that used to be big called New Song and was on the road with them for a few months and that was fun. But yeah, most of it is piano and organ and maybe some synth stuff here and there. I just, my road keyboard is just a Nord stage. Like, okay. like everybody in Nashville, it seems like, <laughs> which they're great. And yeah, I don't, I don't want to carry around two keyboards. I'm yeah. not in just taking a bunch of extra gear if I don't really need it. And I don't ever have a gig where I need it. So, <laughs> so I just try to keep it minimal. Yes. And those, mine's, uh, it's the compact version. So it's lighter. They're not piano weighted. It's more like B3 weighted. Right. And so they're like, they're weighted enough. You can play piano and it's not super annoying, but you can still do organ easily. And the whole keyboard's only like 20 pounds. So that's oh pretty ideal for me to just, there's <laughs> a road keyboard. And, and then I have a ventilator pedal that I love. Yeah, you, I have one of those. Okay. Yeah, I used, that, it, um, I used to use it a lot before I had, but I, I used it with a, a Nord C2 combo organ. Oh, cool. Yeah, they sound amazing. They're, the, the distortion on them is really cool. Mm -hmm. Sounds pretty realistic to a 122. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, do they still make those? Yeah. Yeah, they're, it's a ventilator two now. Okay. Which that's the one I have. I've had it for maybe three years, four years. How much do those cost? I'm just curious. They're pretty expensive for a pedal. I think they're four or $500. Okay. Yeah. I think mine was about 400. Yeah. So you definitely have to be needing it or really to make it worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it, it really is worthwhile. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, or go ahead. Well, I mean, to try to make a, I mean, even the simulator on the, on the C2 combo organ, it's okay, but I'm always having to push the button. I mean, constantly to, to off on, off on, off on to try to get the rotary sound. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I think my stage is a stage two and I think the stage threes, the Leslie's are supposed to be better mm -hmm. where you may not need a ventilator as much. It might not be worth doing if you don't already have one. Um, but I'm not sure. I've, I've had that same road keyboard for seven years or eight years or something. And I don't, it works fine. I don't, if I'm going to spend money on stuff, it'll be 
for the studio. <laughs> right. Um, so that, I mean, it totally makes sense to me. Um, because live, well, well, like, what do you think is the difference between live and, and recording for you? Playing, playing live gigs as opposed to recording. What are the well, recording, at least in Nashville, is generally parts. Like, you really have to come up with good parts. Whereas live, you might be learning parts, depending on what kind of situation. But it, you also can just play more and not... I mean, a lot of, like, how many keyboard sessions are you ever going to do a solo unless you're doing jazz or something like, like for pop or country... Nobody asked for a keyboard, so <laughs> so you have to be pretty humble to just play parts and like the top session players in town are just really good at making parts and having good sounds and like we were saying earlier where they listen to all the guitar players and the parts they're doing and work with them and like all compliments each other. And a lot of it's super simple. Like it's not complicated usually. Right. Yeah. Oh gosh. I just love this. I wish my students could think about this and, and get a concept of what you're saying. Um, it's composing. Like, um, I guess one of the most famous cases of this would be, um, Procol Harum, Whiter Shade of Pale. Okay. The guy who wrote the organ riff that is so key to that song, you know, he finally, he sued Procol Harum for some rights to that to that song because it's so integral a part it's like um it sounds like a, a bach piece it's counterpoint yeah. you know and it's just it's it's so important to that song that he earned the right to claim himself as a composer i guess is the way to put it um it is studio work is, is writing parts uh, or or creating vibes with the oh totally yeah and the gear is important probably more important with studio stuff because you really need the right sounds and hip sounds, whatever's current and that kind of thing. Whereas live, you can kind of get away with, if you have a piano sound, you're probably fine unless it's just terrible. Yeah. Like a Wurlitzer that's on tremolo, for instance, <laughs> that just that certain amount of vibration or wah, 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 you know, can add so much to a recording. And I think that, you know, a lot of times I'll, I, I could take things for granted when I'm listening to a recording. If it's, if it feels really good, I might not think to myself, how did that happen? How did they actually get that? I might just think that's so great. I just love that, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, uh, but then I, if I, if I really focus, um, I'm not saying that I don't listen critically, but if, if something just feels really good to me, I might not really want to think too hard sometimes because I do have to think so hard to learn things uh, sometimes, but, but recording is just very much um, meticulous. Yeah. But very detailed. Cool. Yeah. And also like you're saying with a tremolo or something like that, you have to be mindful of like, does it sound worse with a tremolo? Is it out of time to where it's not in just sounds like you're playing out of time or like there's a lot of other factors like even like, Oh, this is a cool sound with this tremolo, but you really have to be honed in on what's going on with all of it. Or yeah. then you'll just end up recording it and then it's there and they can't take it away. Really. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I, that's why I think it would be fun to do an EP like yours, where the keyboard is a central instrument on some of these tunes, especially, and everybody else has to play with you. Yeah, that is really fun. And a lot of like, I listened to a lot of Billy Preston and Booker T and that kind of stuff, because that's what they did. And Billy Preston would take Beatles songs and stuff and just make it an organ song or a clav song or something. That's really cool. And I'm, most people don't know about that or care unless you're a keyboard person. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about Get Back. Yeah. It's a great example of that. Yeah. <laughs> he totally turned it into a Billy Preston song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In a way, I'm thinking about what you're saying. Yeah, um, well, he would take their songs and release them as his, too. Like, he would do instrumental versions of a lot of them. Yeah. Or sing them and play them his own way. And, you know, there's a lot of Billy Preston records that are really cool that just weren't that popular. Yeah, I need to, you know what? I need to go back in and dig through some of those. Um, another one is Don't Let Me Down. Is that his song he plays, um well i'm just a saying beatles. that he yeah it's a beatles song but he kind of okay. made it he's so important to that song yeah okay i don't remember which song that is <laughs> don't let me down. okay yes i mean i love billy preston and and booker t huge fan of both and they they never really especially booker t they didn't play anything complicated they weren't do anything crazy it just sounded awesome and their taste and their feel was amazing and billy preston probably did sometimes he would go off playing something crazy but usually it was pretty simple stuff that just sounded cool mm -hmm. i totally get what you're saying i saw booker t at city winery oh yeah i missed that i wish i should have gone yeah and uh it's exactly as you describe his riffs, in fact, can be um, like holding out a single note for a long time, you know? Dun, da, da, da. Yeah. Da, 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 da. You know? some, some of it's just like when the release is, like on an upbeat or something, that makes the syncopation and the groove and like that's super simple. <laughs> You're so right. Yeah. yeah. You're just he. You're talking about like when he would push it down and when you let go. Yeah. Um, organ is a wind instrument, you know. That's what I've when I studied yeah. it for a little while. It was told to me, you know, it's a wind instrument. And um, yeah, you have to think of it, approach it like a like an instrumentalist. Yeah, and it's organ's kind of unique because the volume doesn't ever change when you hold the note down like any other instrument. It doesn't exactly. decay. Well, you can manipulate the volume pedal. Well, yeah, you can you can make it, but just like a piano or anything, there's just a natural decay. Right. It's, right. It's right. Kind of a special thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like Billy Preston would put something on a key and just it would just hold it down, and he would like run around the work. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I could ever do that, but <laughs> I wish I could. I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Well, you have to pull it out from uh, the wall to start with. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Do you remember the first time you ever played a Hammond organ? I'm not sure. I know when I played the one that we had at college in the studio was really cool. That was one of the first times, if not the first. And like I was one of the only kids in the class that could play it or play it a little bit at least or anything just because so I'd be the one to demonstrate it for like the Leslie day to learn how to Michael Leslie and stuff like and then I could I could play it on the projects for the class and stuff like that. Nice. Very so yeah, nice. That's, I learned a lot about draw bars and that kind of thing just from getting a Nord. I had a Nord Electro first when I was in college. And the way the Nord's set up, you can learn a lot about how a real organ works, which most keyboards don't have the draw bars set up that way with where you see the harmonics listed and you have the percussion and all the stuff that's on a real organ. Right. What's tricky about recording an organ? Um, well, what I've run into at the times I've used other organs around town for recording before I had one is a lot of people just don't maintain them. And a Leslie just gets noisy. There's belts making noise or sounds like a airplane's taken off or something like, and you can't record that. That's crazy. <laughs> and I've, seen that a lot so I'm trying to like I've learned about how to maintain mine and it was restored really well from the guy that I bought it from and so anytime there's a little thing I, I text this guy and he tells me I'll do this and so that's maintenance is a big thing because yeah. <laughs> it's just not usable if it's noisy and it sounds bad like and you just end up using a keyboard anyway so what's the point yeah, I um I played a gig a couple of weeks ago at a well-known establishment in town and uh, turned on the Leslie, nothing. <laughs> the sound person uh, came and, you know, turned the Leslie around and we had a look and the belt to the top rotor was just a thread. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not even, I, mean, I, I don't know if you blew on it, if it would just fly apart. I mean... <laughs> just not even anything resembling a belt anymore. And he made a phone call to Murph. And I don't know if they sent a courier over there or something, but they went and got a belt from Murph Wonka. And it was working an hour later, working really well. well that's, that's nice. <laughs> it was. And it worked out that way. <laughs> yeah. Pro probably the only town you can even do that. <laughs> I know we're so lucky, right? We're, we're yeah. lucky. Yeah. Do you, did you always want to be in Nashville or, um, just. Yeah. Um, when I was in high school, my brother brought me on a trip to Nashville during the summer, just a kind of a vacation of just him and me. And I really liked it. And at one point I was going to go to Belmont, but I did didn't want to get all the student loans and I went to MTSU and I'm very thankful for that. That's a whole nother discussion, but, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I knew I wanted to come to Nashville and probably live here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, MTSU has a great recording program. They have a great music school. 
um, I know a yeah. lot of people who went there. One really cool thing, <clears throat> and one of the main reasons I went there is, I guess, I don't know if they still have this program, but when I went, you could get in-state tuition as an out-of-state person. Oh, wow. If you, if you work full-time for two semesters for, while you went to college. So I did like a, I think I moved, I did a spring and a summer semester and worked full-time and took classes part-time when I came here. So then my intuition was in state. And then after that it was in state, I didn't have to keep the job necessarily. And that was awesome because in state tuition for state schools in Tennessee is pretty low anyway, compared to a lot of schools. And I had just a small amount of debt that I paid off. And if I would have gone to Belmont, I'd be way into debt and really thankful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I hear you. I did go to Belmont. Um, I got my master's there. Okay. So that's a little bit more economical because you can do it quicker. Yeah. And you can probably make more money to pay it off with the credentials. Maybe, maybe, um, you know, um, the year after I started my program, they introduced the commercial piano masters and I decided to just stick with what I was doing. Um, and I did the classical piano masters, but, um, it, you know, it ended up just being, being really helpful to me as a teacher. I took a lot of education courses too. And I studied with the with Bob Marler, who plays for National Symphony. So he really helped me with technical issues and all those things. They they totally apply to jazz, rock and roll, um, you know, anything that I would want to play, any style. Just building my technique made such a big difference. And music is music. You know? Yeah, awesome. But um, it's it's um, it was a great place for me at the time. It really, truly was. But MTSU is also incredible. I know a lot of people who've gone to school there. Um, and that there are other great music schools in town too. So many great music schools in town. Yeah. Yeah, and, and my my degree I did end up getting wasn't a music degree. It was in the mass communications college, which is like with video production and journalism and stuff like that. So, which is what I wanted because I was tired of just studying like classical music when I really just wanted to like be recording every minute basically (laughs) and I was spending all this time which I learned I took some of the theory classes and when I was a music major and they're super helpful and they were good classes but I was like I want to spend my time focusing on what I really want to do and so and Belmont's also their recording program is in their commercial music or commercial music business pro I think. So That's you don't really, you don't have to take music you may have to take one or two basic music classes unless you are yeah. doing commercial music, I think. They do have you well, I know that you do have to have class piano because I taught it. Okay. And hopefully there's not a whole lot of people out there who uh, resent me for forcing them to learn scales. <laughs> yeah, that sounds kind of rough teaching a bunch of people that don't want to learn how to play the piano. <laughs> I, I ended up playing a gig with one, uh, one of the 
person who I did teach class piano and she's a really great commercial guitarist and does a lot like a lot of work downtown on lower broad and you know and um I think I played a I played us on a song or two before her and I got off stage and she said you're cool <laughs> <laughs> you, you do this <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you thought you yeah. just taught all day and that was it <laughs> It's it's hard, you know. I'm I'm so glad that you wanted to be on the on the show because it is it can be really hard to bridge different worlds in in music land, um, and that classical world, you know, I, I struggle with that a lot because um, I know that a lot of my students, you know, they they do benefit from having a strong foundation, but it's not really where their interests lie, and you know, you don't want to um, smother other things in favor of somebody playing their scales at 120. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's great to have a strong foundation in piano. I mean, I think it's it makes you a strong musician. But it's interesting to me to hear, you know, how how did you know that you wanted to go into recording? And I mean, being a strong keyboard player helps that. I know it does. But yeah, it, it definitely comes down to it. it helps everything. And just even like if I need a, a horn part or something is usually if your keyboard player teaches you to arrange stuff, like something even basic, I can just arrange it. I'm not like a great arranger to do a big composition, horn composition or anything, but just having skills to be able to play it and have a MIDI file I can send to somebody or stuff like that. Definitely valuable. Yes. Even if I just stop playing gigs, like it's super valuable just to be able to, or just to know what's going on with harmonies and, but you can, you can do that too if you're a guitar player or a different instrument, but it's just easier to know because piano is so visual and you can play so many notes at once and. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you ever study like jazz voicings? I did a little bit. The one thing I w where I grew up, there wasn't any jazz piano teacher around. Or I wish I would have had that because I kind of got interested in it later on, and I was just too far behind really to like to get good at it. To be where I would say I'm a jazz pianist, and I would have to practice a lot, and I was just doing other stuff with recording, and so that's the one thing I wish I would have learned more early on. When I was a kid. Me too. Me too. I think it's that helps so much with your ear, you know, but you, the reason why I asked that is because you do, um, you lean, you are inclined in that world. I do think that your playing sounds heavily influenced, you know, by R&B and jazz and blues. And so. Oh, thanks. I just wondered. Yeah. Yeah. I learned pretty much learned enough jazz stuff that I can play some R&B music <laughs> or play like, certain things like I do on my projects and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not like every, maybe like once a year I take a jazz Christmas gig and I can fake my way through it yeah. with a saxophone player or somebody that's soloing. <laughs> 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 I can play voicings and I know how to read a chart, but yeah. I'm definitely not going to say I can play or I'm a jazz player or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me, uh, I, mean, I, I relate. I understand what you're saying. Um, 
I'm just going to fire off some real quick questions if you don't care. Like, okay. like, who are you listening to right now? Who are your favorite bands or musicians? Um, there's an 80s band called The Night Game. That's really cool. Um, it's kind of like Peter Gabriel and Sting and stuff like that. Because there's a pretty, there's a the cool thing for me is there's a resurgence of a lot of this stuff now. And I just love that stuff, old music, and it's cool that the kids want it <laughs> or whatever. So that's a cool band that's gotten popular. Um, there's there's an R&B artist from the UK named Nao, it's N-A-O. She's become one of my favorite artists. She does really cool, a lot of it's electro funk kind of R&B stuff. She has a unique sound. Cool. Um, who are your favorite keyboardists? Oh, you've already said Booker T and Billy Preston. Yeah, I think Billy Preston is definitely. Um, Greg Fillingain. Greg Fillingain's played on all the '80s, a lot of the '80s records, Michael Jackson records, all that stuff. Yeah. Like. I mean, he has crazy chops. I would never say I can play it like, but he's definitely my favorite ones. And I don't even know, like, who are the, who's famous keyboard players now, like in present? Oh, uh, you know, well, a lot of people love Corey Henry. Oh yeah. Corey Henry is amazing. He's great. Jacob Collier, I guess he does crazy stuff on every instrument. Um, what's on your bucket list? Like what, what do you, what have you not done yet that you really want to do? Um, well, I'd like to work with bigger artists than I have worked with just to grow and. Country or do you have a specific genre in mind or? Probably more pop, um, or country, but. I'm not as much in the country world. I've just kind of done my own thing. And yeah, the, the recording world for country in Nashville is very much like a, like a bro circle. <laughs> so you really have to like fraternize with the people that are doing it and be in the circle to kind of get called a lot for that stuff. So I'm not really in that. And me either. So I've, so I've just focused more on like indie pop artists and that kind of thing, which is really fun to do. And I, I don't really know how, but just eventually to work with a bigger artist and yeah, not, yeah. Even, not even somebody huge, just like somebody that's bigger that's doing stuff and somebody that would actually want to work with me mm -hmm. for my sound and that kind of thing. Right. I mean, if somebody is interested in working with you, how do you decide if you're going to, if you're going to be able to work with them or not? Oh, uh, well, I'll talk to them quite a bit beforehand to make sure it's a good fit. And I'll listen to their songs, demos, or just them playing their songs or whatever, just to see and hear what they're looking for or what they're expecting or what, kind of sound they're going for right. and then just to buy and budget too. like if they have a budget to pay for it 
or what they're expecting in that regard. Yeah. Um, I pretty much, I, I don't get a lot of inquiries now that aren't a good fit just cause I've kind of branded myself and my website does a good job of that. And there's what actually a form on it's ryanpruitt.com. Okay. So th there's a form on there. People fill out. I'll usually have them fill out if they're interested in working with me and they just answer some questions and, and then I'll go from there, probably meet in person or talk like this online and see how, see if it's a fit. And most of the time, if it gets that far now, it's actually somebody I want to work with because it kind of filters out people that aren't serious or somebody that's just like looking for something really cheap. Yeah. So, so I don't, I don't work with a ton of artists. I just work with ones that are good fit, like a, a few artists that I want to work with. Gotcha. That just sounds like fun to me. Uh, the indie pop world. A lot of youngsters with them. Um, <laughs> attitude. <laughs> yeah. And there's, in Nashville, there's a crazy amount of younger R&B artists. Like, some of them I've worked with on my projects, and they've hired me. And, like, that's my favorite circle to be in, actually, is just the indie R&B and pop people like in Nashville that are all kind of doing their own thing. Right. Some of them have a following. Some of them are starting out or just different levels. And the cool thing with that is they're, they can just do their own thing. There's no, they're not necessarily trying to like please some label or something like most of the country artists in Nashville that are all trying to get signed or <laughs> trying to compete with a million other people for the same thing. Yeah. They kind, yeah. Of, they kind of just create their own way and that's really cool to just be a part of that and just be in a community like that. Have you ever uh, played keyboards on a Soul Vibes collective show? No, I've gotten the emails. I've for some reason I've never, I've done the uh, loud jams. Yeah. I yeah. Think we may have met there. I think so. I'm pretty sure we did. And I was going to do Soul Vibes. I just never or maybe the times I have responded, I was too late or something. Yeah. Well, I'm just sort of thinking maybe that would be a really good place for you to do some networking. There's some really good artists on that show. Um, yeah, I definitely would like to whenever it happens again. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you know. Um, usually I coordinate the keyboard players for that show. Oh really? Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. Yeah. Cool. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm sort of brainstorming for you here, but, but I just, I think, you know, there might be some people that you would like to get connected with at those shows. Yeah, yeah definitely. Or I could just, I should just start going to it anyway, even if I'm not playing. Yeah. It's, it's pretty rich at times. Some of the shows are just astounding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. absolutely great. So, well, is there anything else that you'd like to promote or um, discuss or? Um, well, I have, if anybody is interested in the sync licensing stuff we were talking about, I have an, an article I wrote on my website that a little more in depth about how I got into it. And then there's also a list of the companies you can submit music to of at least nine or 10 of them probably. And there's, I'm sure there's more out there, but I just made some that I know of. And 
it, it's good to read if you're trying to get into it and you just want to learn. <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely a long a long game to do it. It's not like you just create a song and then next week you're probably going to get some money for it. You have yeah. to kind of build up a library and just keep doing projects and submitting them. And eventually it kind of, if it's good, if you're good at the music and it's actually usable and what they want, then you just kind of build it up. That's super nice of you to do that. I think that is, um, I think, I think that is really great of you to make that information accessible to people and share, you know, share your wisdom on that. Um, yeah. And, and it's not even, it's not like a lot of courses and people that just have like, this is how you do it. Like, cause there's no set way. This is just right. like how I did it or what kind of worked out for me and take from it what you can. And like it, it did lead last year, I got one bigger sync on an HBO show that they found the song on one of these smaller sites and then they asked to use it, which that paid more. They had to do like a different kind of contract for that. So it's cool. It all kind of just builds momentum. The more your more stuff you have out there, that's really good quality that, and also it's helped me to just find my niche. Like I'm, I'm really good at the retro meets modern type of stuff. And so that's why I just, when I make my own projects, that's the stuff I do. And that's why it usually works out to get used. Cause if, I mean, if I do other stuff, it's probably not going to be as good. So if you find your niche and you get really good at a style or something specific and you just kind of brand yourself, that helps. I think. That's really cool. Yeah. I, your stuff, um, it kind of reminds me of like, um, Guys, forgive me if this is just the most weird thing to say, but like shopping at the limited in 20, 2005. <laughs> like, it's, it's got that um, hip girl, chic, um, cool. That's cool. I want, I want matching accessories with this outfit vibe. <laughs> <Hey, honey. laughs> It's, I think uh, it, it would be really cool too someday if somebody asked me to write music for a movie or like a Stranger Things type movie or something that's like era specific and they needed 80s synth music or some kind of like retro soul thing or, and I was just in charge of the music. That would be really awesome. <laughs> I love that whole soundtrack to Stranger Things. It's so It's so great. Yeah. Or even like another like the new version of napoleon dynamite or something if that came out and they need quirky like i'd love to do that and make casio beats like <laughs> just anything like that would be fun if an yes. opportunity ever came yeah i totally hear those things in my head you know from watching that movie a thousand times but yeah i love that too i really do um another thing i think of is the band d light that they had that groove is in the heart and um i had like a couple of their cds and um they you have that vibe somewhat too cool. of, um, it's um it's happy it's unique it's quirky it's it makes you feel good um that that kind of vibe so yeah i could totally see it <laughs> cool thanks <laughs> yeah i think that would be great um 
Um, I'm going to be watching to see when you get that. Oh, because, um, thank you. Yeah, I think that's definitely um, a very strong possibility for you. <laughs> so, well, maybe but, we could talk more in the future about doing some classes on recording or something like that. If Yeah. You know, in the fall, it looks like I'll be doing online teaching, continuing for a few more months. We've, okay. Yeah, we've got some issues with going back to in-person. Right. So maybe we could set something up, you know, for even for students to get them rolling on GarageBand. I mean, all of them have access to that. I mean, I would love for to have some special um, side subjects for them this fall to keep them interested and, yeah. and move them into the future. I mean, this is the future. Um, there are ways to make lessons really great online. Um, I'd say 80% of my students are more improved more than they normally do last semester. Really? That's well, my wife's a, a violin teacher and she runs a, a Suzuki school in Franklin out of a church and they have to be online too. And she said the same thing, partly <laughs> just because kids don't have anything else to do. So they practice. Yeah. And yeah. That, so yeah. Parents are more involved. Yeah, that too. There, yeah. So there, there are good things coming out of <laughs> this strange quarantine. Yeah. Well, um, Ryan, gosh, thank you so much for your time and thank uh, you. It was fun. Yeah, it was great getting to know you better and just hear more about what you do. And um, I apologize if I didn't have uh, depth of question about recording, <laughs> but see, oh. we can fix that. You can teach, you could teach us all a class on, <laughs> on these basic skills, you know, it would be helpful to me. It truly would. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I love the idea of that kind of collaboration. And, you know, that's one reason why I started the podcast was to get to know other keyboard players and f find out what we all do and, you know, um, build a squad of all of us, if you will, <laughs> um, you know, a team that, that works together. Um, yeah. There's, there's really no reason to be competitive with anything. Yeah. There's a gig for everybody. Yeah. Especially there's not even that many of us comparatively to guitar players and drummers and everybody else in town. So <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I'll, I'll let you go, but okay. um, thanks again so much and stay in touch. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Good luck with your EP. Okay. Thank you. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye.